nine bullets in it, nine bullets in my roommate's gun. My name is Miles Corbier and I fully endorse the book podcast, especially the episodes I am part of. The other day Livius called me up on the phone in blind panic. The amount of listeners was dwindling and after some research it was found out mainly the women were giving up on books. The only sensible conclusion was the lack of malasness in recent episodes. So here I am, stressing these fair creatures to keep listening, even when I'm not present. Here are your hosts for today, Rob Olsen and Livius Nedden. And that was Malaz Corbier, our correspondent from the Netherlands. Um, thanks to Malaz for the research he helped us do in our uh, declining listener numbers. Um, and as he said, ladies, you can uh, come on back and then we can uh, triple our uh, female listenership uh, up to five. Okay, yeah. Thanks to Malaz. We missed him around here. Uh, so the book we're talking about today is Crimes in Southern Indiana by Frank Bill. Frank Bill lives and writes in Southern Indiana. He's appeared in... Plots with Guns, Noir at the Bar, he has a novella in Beat to a Pulp, and he just released Crimes in Southern Indiana, which is his first book. Let me go ahead and read you a little bit about uh, the book from Amazon.com. Bill's Southern Indiana is haunted with a deep, authentic sense of place that recalls the best of Southern fiction, but the interconnected stories bristle with the urban energy of a Chuck Palahniuk or a latter-day Nelson Algren and rush with the slam-bang plotting of pulp noir crime writing a la Jim Thompson. Bill's prose is gritty, yet literary, shocking, and impossible to put down, a dark evocation of the survivalist spirit of the working class. This is a brilliant debut by an important new voice. Okay, in case it hasn't become clear already, this is a collection of short stories by Frank Bill. So it's going to be a little bit different than our usual book review, where we just talk about uh, what the story is and the plot and everything like that. I think we're going to talk about some individual stories and what we thought about them, and then just talk about the book as a whole. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to get into, and we ran into this with <laughs> with the warmed and bound sessions. Um, we can't talk too much about any one story, and seeing as some of these stories are you know eight, nine, ten pages long, we could uh, really overdo it. So we're going to try to keep it short. Apologies if we're spoiling any of these stories for any of our listeners. Um, the first thing I want to mention about this, and we're going to get into a little bit about later, is uh, we actually attended the book release party for for Crimes in Southern Indiana. And while we were there, there was a bunch of writers that were reading their stuff, including Frank, who read one of the stories from the book, which is called The Need. I think it was one of the more bleak stories of the book, but it was really fun to see him read it and then go back and listen to it later on to see like the difference of how his voice came out as opposed to how my mind would have paced it and everything. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that I didn't give it much thought. I mean, I knew while I was reading the story that I, you know, that I'd heard him read it. But um, yeah, it came out better in his voice than in my own voice in my head, which is uh, which probably isn't very surprising as he is the creator and author of the story. Okay, I think it would be best if we just kind of talk about some of the top stories we liked or stories that we thought were worth mentioning, um, if you don't mind kicking it off. Um, I don't. Um, one thing I, I want to say before that, and I know we mentioned it during the synopsis, and I know that, um, God, I hardly pay attention to synopsis anymore, even when I'm reading them. These stories are loosely interconnected, so there is a little bit of crossover characters or kin of said characters um, from story to story, and they do, for the majority uh, of them, or for the majority of each story at least, take place in southern Indiana, if you didn't get that already from the title. 
the first story I'm going to talk about here is uh, actually has the most fun title to say, too. I think it's The Penance of Scoot McCutcheon. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's a story about a, a guy who's who's on the run and uh, he kind of jumps around a little bit in his story and his thoughts on being on the run. But uh, he's on the run more from himself than from the kind of unspeakable act he committed, which becomes, you know, more apparent as you get deeper into the story. But uh, just a terrific story about loss and, and, you know, and how we deal with it and how we deal with ourselves after after a horrifying um, event. It was uh, easily my favorite story out of the whole bunch. And it really demonstrates one of the things that I was worried about going into a book that that's like this, that it kind of telegraphs violence and, and crime and stuff like this, is that um, it's not a book that's just full of violence for the sake of violence or, or violence without consequence. He really does think about the different layers of crime and, and the effects that they have. So uh, this is a really good example of, of people coming to terms and having to deal with what has happened. It's one of the few stories where I really thought that uh, that a character in the somewhere dark, I have notes for it in the wrap up, but um, his a lot of the characters seemed very unconcerned with uh, the, you know, unspeakable atrocities they committed. Um, and this was one of the better ones, I think, for the fact that, you know, we really got an inside look at somebody who did it and their emotion and feelings about it. And speaking about consequences, one of the stories that I really enjoyed which might surprise Livius because I, in, a, in the review for The Devil all the time, I said I'm not really big on violence. There's a story called Old Testament Wisdom, and it's really just an eye for an eye kind of story, um, which I thought was really great for the simple violence of it. It's just, it's not gimmicky or anything. It's very obvious. It makes sense, and it's just very simple. Uh, it felt very Wild West, and the twist at the end I was not expecting but I thought it was just the best way he could have ended the story. So it was um, more than I could have asked for, I guess, in a, in a, in a story that's really violent. But um, I think it was perfect. I think one of the things about expecting violence, if you expect it, which, as you said, the title and, and everything about this leads you to believe you're going to read some some pretty some pretty gruesome stuff. So I think it's like going into a horror novel. And even if you don't like blood and gore, when you pick up a horror novel, it becomes kind of more acceptable because it's the premise of the story that you're that you're going into. Well, well at least for me, for sure. But but yeah. And for me, then the step, the, the, the next step or the further step from that is if you know violence is here you look into the subtleties of how it's told and and what the meanings of it are and stuff like that very true all right next story the accident this one was and i don't know if he meant it to be this way this was what i found to be kind of the the more humorous story uh, of the bunch it's about a guy who uh, who's had an accident and it's kind of warped and twisted his his sense of reality and and while it's uh, amusing it made me feel kind of uncomfortable with what the character was going through and what others around him had to go through because of because of his uh, affliction, I guess, due to this accident. So another favorite of mine. Um, again, I got the feeling that some of it was a little tongue in cheek. Um, if it wasn't, I still found it amusing. But my apologies to the author then. Yeah, if there was if you had to pick out one that was a departure from the basic style of the book, I'd say this was it. But um, only because it, it has such a different Feel, I guess a different feel to it than the other ones do, but I liked it a lot too. All right, you want to throw out your next one? Yeah. By the way, I've got like four that I'm going to talk about, and Livius just gave you his two, so uh, get ready for a lot of Rob. Uh, 
Next one I want to talk about is another one that has a bit of a departure from just your basic uh, crime story, which is called Trespassing Between Heaven and Hell. This is really a story about decisions and consequences. Um, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but there's I default to saying a bit of supernatural to it, um, or at least a hint at it, or kind of an idea that it's possible that there's a supernatural element. It's, it's kind of vague. It's a gray area. But again, this is just another one of those someone makes a decision and has to deal with the consequences of it. And yeah, just, I, I liked it a lot. It was really well done. Um, I'm going to tack on to that. I agree that it was really well done. I do think that when you said departure, um, for me, that departure was, it's probably the story that fit the least and possibly because it was the only one that touched on something outside of the regular real life grittiness that we were handed in this book. Do you mean that supernatural kind of thing? Yeah. Like I said, I really liked the story. I just, maybe it's placement in the, in the book because it was like kind of, it's like three quarters of the way through, if I remember correctly. And it just kind of jumped out at me as, as, um, you know, which one of these does not belong. And that would be my, my pick for, for that in this book. That being said, I I really liked the story. I just thought that it, it, it was really, it just didn't fit well with the, with the other grouping of stories. It's funny that we disagree on that. I figured that we would both have the same same feelings on that. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good fit for the book, and that's just a difference of opinion, I think. I found it to be one of the more charming stories, which is weird because it's not at all happy or funny. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I, didn't, I don't think charming would apply to anything in this book, but yeah. Well, it, in the sense that mm-hmm. it seems, okay, here's what it is. It seems like it's the most, it seems like it's an episode of a TV show almost. You know, it's got that conflict at the beginning and then a bunch of speculation in the middle and then you know a very neatly tied up resolution at the end and it's got that little supernatural bit in there just to, to add a little spice to it so I, I when i read it i was almost it was like i was seeing a tv show if that makes sense yeah that makes perfect sense another story that i really enjoyed and this is one of the ones if i had to choose of the book i'd say this was probably my first or second favorite uh story called the old mechanic and I'm going to under explain it a little bit just because it's easy to spoil it but it's about basically this guy who's an abusive father who years and years later after his children are grown up and have their own kids he's kind of at that point in his life where he he's looking for redemption and uh, he sees an opportunity when he has a chance to first meet his grandson so one of the things I liked about it is just like he did a great job of building up this person as this horrible, horrible monster of a person. And then later on in the story, he does that turn where he makes you kind of question how you feel about him. And I thought it was really good. Yeah, that was that was one of my top three, too. And I only kind of left that because you had already made notes on it. Yeah, what a yeah, a great story. And and the thing that you said that really was good about it was the twist and and how real that is, how we don't have to hold on to, you know, something someone did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, you know, for their whole life that people can change or that maybe their motivation for being a, in a doing a certain thing or, or being a certain way, you know, was something that you don't take into account, not to defend the character in the story at all, but you know, people can change and, you know, this character uh, at least seemingly did. Yeah, and I think that's one of the toughest things that everybody's got a situation in their lives where one of the most difficult things is to forgive someone, you know, and to give them another chance at, at you know, you know, changing your opinion of them or something like that. And so it's something that we can all easily identify with. And I think it's, I'm not going to say it's like a tale or anything that, you know, people can learn from, 
but it's got that kind of common thread. Everybody's been through that kind of thing and they know how difficult it is to forgive and move on. And, um, yeah, it was just, I, you could tell this is something that, you know, I can imagine Frank having something like this in his past. And that's the type of thing that he's drawing on when he wrote this story. Mm -hmm. And I believe you have one more. Yes, I've got one more. It's, uh, actually the title story from the book crimes in Southern Indiana. It's like I said, kind of the namesake of the book. It, to me, I think it's one of the longest stories, and it's kind of got the most going on. It's got several full plots, you know, not subplots, but full different plots going on. Both uh, both of the more main characters, Iris, and I think the other guy's name is Crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Are both really great examples of, of men who's who've had something go wrong in their lives, and they're looking for redemption or a new start or something like that. And even though the two stories don't really intertwine too much, uh, they're really parallel each other with what they're what the people are going through, and I, it was it was just it was a good story. All right, so I think we're gonna quit it there on story uh, descriptions and kind of talk a little bit about general feel and uh, and writing style. All right, so Frank Bill has given us this uh, these crossover stories, and he's managed to give us a peek at a world in. Okay, I, I find it hard to believe that Southern Indiana is a place where everybody just about kills somebody they know. But um, if I were to buy into that, he wrote it in a very, very believable way. Even the violence is, you know, numb as we are to it from watching TV and a lot of stories. It's, you know, so-and-so shot so-and-so in the head and they drop dead. And that's not what you get here. Even the violence is very, very visceral and real. And it's, you know, blood gurgling, uh, gut spilling, you know, limb severing violence that uh, that really punctuates a lot of these stories. But in most cases, as we kind of touched on with the stories, it's the secondary part of the story is the violence and it's more about the people that committed or have it committed against them. So violence is like the backdrop. Yeah. I mean, but that's and the best stories in there are exactly like that. You know, there's, there's a bit of violence, but you know, as we talked about during the stories, the, it's about redemption. It's about why somebody did something. It's not necessarily about the killing, mm-hmm. but about the reasons behind it or the consequences for it. And, I mean, let's be honest, there's just some goddamn unsettling stuff going on in these books. There's a grandfather sells his granddaughter uh, basically as a sex slave to pay for his, you know, his wife's, or daughter, I don't remember, uh, someone's his, cancer medication. I think it was his wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's yeah, a ton of, like, kidnappings and, you know, uh, like, doping people and raping them and stuff. There's a lot of really unsettling mm-hmm. stuff in here, so... Like Olivia said, not for the weak of stomach, but again, it's not like it's just that surface level. That's I, I guess backdrop is kind of a, a lazy way of saying it, but you know, it is. It's kind of it's addressing for for something that's that's more deep and there's more meaning than just like violence and nasty crap. And as the Amazon review that we read at the top said, he still manages to do all of this in a very literary way, which. I don't think it's always easy for a writer to do when it's violence, crime, rape, kidnapping laden stories to really deliver them with some prose that uh, that helps, you know, punctuate the the what's going on in the story. So, again, not necessarily action driven, although action is the catalyst for all of this. Someone acting on something, you know, it's still a story about people or it's still the stories are still about people. 
Yeah. I can't think of a story that doesn't touch on the human condition in general and the struggles of people, especially because it's in such a, uh, a landscape of, of crime and poverty and bad things happening. The human condition is almost amplified. You know, people's struggles and stuff are, are, are you know, easier to see. And it wouldn't be a full uh, review if I didn't tack on the the culture aspect of it. And Rob's gonna laugh in the background while I while I go into this again. But hold on, I gotta learn. hold on. That was my eyes rolling. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know what can you say? It's um, it's basically Southern culture and a lot to be learned there from what the value of a coon pelt is. Um, you know, where in Kentucky the best coon hunting um, is, you know, insurance scams. I mean, there's just a lot there about culture and people. And it, Rob mentioned it a little earlier um, about a particular story, but I think get the feeling that a lot of this was uh, was experiences that Frank Bill not necessarily had himself, but that, you know, were, were passed down to him or um, people he knew that were in similar situations. And it's always nice to get a look at a different uh, at different people's uh, way of living. You know what, I just had a thought while you were saying this, and it didn't occur to me when we were doing the uh, the review for The Devil All the Time, which has a very similar setting and feel to it. Mm-hmm. This is when I'm reading about the South. Can you want to know what the big thing that I want to hear about is? Waffle House? Close. Food. Yeah. Southern food is like my biggest impression of the South. And... Yeah, not a lot of it in this book, or any of it really at all. I think he talked about bacon at one point, but it was during a particularly gruesome scene. So, you know, there wasn't any kind of, like, food love in that in that situation. But, I've, you know, one thing I love about the South is the food. So I just noticed when you were talking about that, there's conspicuously absent. Well, there you go. So Southern authors, if you want to capture uh, the heart and imagination of Rob Olson, um, lots of fried chicken will do it. Biscuits and gravy, my friend. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Country fried, country gravy. Biscuits and gravy is good and eaten. So. <laughs> One of the thoughts I had about the structure of the book in general is that the bookend stories, the first and last story, were pretty well chosen. Um, starting off with a story that is really just piled on with tons of unspeakable crimes and violence and, and really graphic stuff. It really gets your attention and it gets you gets you into that feel early on it was a nice way to start it off it wasn't a slow pace it wasn't weird it just got you right into it you knew what you were getting into by reading the first story and then um like i said about it before that story crimes in southern indiana is the end of the book and um i think it's a great end because it offers that kind of perspective that people don't necessarily want to be in these situations of of lives of crime and stuff like that that you know, they might be looking for a way out and there is hope and there is a choice, a chance to make a choice to find a better life and stuff like that. All right. So I may be wrong and Frank Bill could certainly um, shoot us a note and correct me on this, but uh, I have a kind of what normally would be a word snob, but we're going to switch. That's going to be a cover snob this time. I'm fairly certain from my recollection in the book uh, that uh, this burned out hulk of a car is probably indicative of uh, a story where somebody burns a car for an insurance scam. And that car is located in Hazard, Kentucky and not in southern Indiana when it's all burned out. So, Frank Bill, let us know if we're wrong, but I'm pretty sure the cover of the book Crimes in Southern Indiana is actually a picture that's supposed to have been in Hazard, Kentucky. Imagine that. It didn't even occur to me when I was reading that or looking at the cover. I never made that connection. I'm just that sharp, just that sharp, like a razor, like a razor, like a razor. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> now that I got that out of the way, it's been bugging me the whole time. <laughs> it, ha- it hasn't been bugging me the whole time. <laughs> so, Livius, recently we were talking to Chris Deal, and he said that we don't have a lot of uh, definition in between the different parts of our uh, our episode. So I know he's listening. How would you like to transition now to the quotes section of the uh, podcast? I, well, if I had music, I'd play some music to do it. But uh, let's do this. We're going to move along to our next segment now, the quote segment. Rob, Sounds great. Kick it off. I'll get this started. Thank you very much. <laughs> so in the spirit of, I, I went to Frank Bill's website and on the banner picture, it's a picture of him and it says, um, I think it's Frank Bill's House of Grit or I can't remember exactly what it says, but there's a quote there that says tight, flat, and to the point. I don't waste words. I write them. So in that spirit, the quotes that I'm going to give you, at least two of them are tight, flat, and to the point. So the first one I want to give really doesn't need any explanation. It just goes, in the end, whether it's spilled or related, blood is blood. I actually had to read that probably two or three times when I read it to really get the meaning of it. And um, yeah, very good line. I really like that one. Yeah, it's just a, I love it. I mean, when you got like 10 or 12 words there, and it's, it's, it's a full-on analysis of two different perspectives of the word. So it was really cool. Next one up. Again, doesn't need a lot of explanation. A decision that was nothing more than a two-sided coin with fate on each side of the flip. Going to go ahead and uh, interject with the one quote that I have here from, uh, from Crimes in Southern Indiana. And this, uh, this quote comes from uh, the story of the old mechanic that Rob and I both really liked. And I'm going to give a little bit of setup here. This is the, uh, the, the main character, the mechanic, who we talked about was just kind of a, kind of a bastard to his family. Um, and he has these two daughters who are, I don't know, seven and eight years old or so. And uh, he's busy um, just screaming at, at their mother and screaming at them. And um, just this line right here. No reply, not a word. Hiding their fear, the girls had their underage poker faces on. That really just uh, struck me, especially in the course of the story, as such a strong line. So I really like that a lot. I tell you what, I didn't notice it too much in the moment, but now that you say it, it really takes me back to it. You're right. It's a good line. I've got another one. It's a bit longer. This is um, uh, a snapshot from one of the more action-packed moments in, the, in one of the stories. A breeze scratched his face, knocked a few loose limbs to the ground from the surrounding trees with leaves turning the shade of pumpkins while his heart punched his eardrums. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's one more quote that I'd really love to do, but I think I'd be a little ham-handed at it because it's a little bit long. So instead, um, I know Richard Thomas added it as part of his review that he did for Crimes in Southern Indiana over at the Nervous Breakdown. So instead of reading it, I'm just going to drop a link in the post for this episode, and you guys can go over there and check it out for yourselves. It's... Uh, kind of in the middle toward the end of the review very cool um yeah it just there's a lot of of quotable stuff and most of it very very dark not a lot of not a lot of happy-go-lucky stuff in this uh in this collection of short stories all right that's pretty much it for quotes you want to wrap it up yeah let's do that you want me to go first i'd love for you to go first all right i'm gonna just knock it out of the park real quick four stars violent and dark just the way I like a lot of my fiction. Um, there's characters that can make snap decisions regarding the lives and deaths of others, and it really gives you an, an interesting insight into where Frank Bill wanted to take you with this book. And 
It's very successful, man. There is not a lot of uh, not a lot of smiles to be had throughout the book. It really takes a, a look at the murkiness of of life, and then um, you know the possibility that once you get into a more rural area, that uh, that darkness can take on a whole new shape in the form of violence. So, four stars, great book. Okay, I'm going to try and make this quick as well. My review, I'm giving it three and a half stars. I think it's a great collection of short stories. Um, I was glad to see that there was a variety of perspectives and angles, that it wasn't just a pile of um, very similar. Uh, crime-ridden stories that didn't have any, you know, depth to them or anything like that. I think it was the exact opposite of that. Um, it has the full spectrum of emotions, desperation, loss, rage, sadness, fear, love, and it paints a very vivid picture of southern Indiana uh, in a time of, right now, there's recession and war going on, but it also goes back a couple decades. So uh, I think it's a great snapshot of, of what the South in certain circumstances could look like, and it was a really great book to read. I'm glad you said that because that brought to mind something I meant to make note of. Um, the only, uh, I'm going to phrase this carefully, the only criticism I have, the stories did jump around in time a little bit, and it would have been nice at the top of the story, even if just for setting to know what, where we were time-wise in the stories. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. There was a couple moments where I, I had to stop and think, oh, this is at a different right. time. So mm -hmm. um, any suggestions about other stuff to read? Um, <laughs> you can't not say Donald Ray Pollock. Similar in scope to Knock 'em Stiff, it's another look at uh, at Southern rurality. Um, this one far more violent, but still has that kind of intertwining thread that makes it easier to accept as a big story, even though it is a collection of short stories. So instead of them being unconnected or connected only by geography, um, the same thing that I thought about Knock'em Stip a couple years ago when I read it was the great part of it was uh, that there were characters that would reoccur. So it did keep you more involved in the stories as a big story than it would have on their own. So I have to say, if you like this kind of stuff, Donald Ray Pollock, got to read it. And I'm going to kind of reiterate what I said when we were reviewing Donald Ray Pollock's uh, Devil All the Time, which is Anthony Neal Smith, Yellow Medicine and Hog Goggin, and uh, I've read Psychosomatic as well. Similar feel in the writing and the style and everything like that. It's got, you know, the same. It, it, it's very similar. If you like uh, Donald Ray Pollock, you like Frank Bill, you might also like to read some Anthony Neal Smith. Agreed. All right, so let's put that one down. Uh, let's put that one to bed. Let's move on with other exciting stuff we have to talk about. Yeah, we actually did have a lot of exciting stuff going on this past weekend. Uh, we did a road trip down to Corridan, Indiana, Southern Indiana, with Richard Thomas and Chris Deal for the book release party slash reading for Crimes in Southern Indiana. And I'm going to let Livius tell you a little bit more about that. All right. The first thing I would like to say, um, nobody tried to stab or shoot us while we were down there, which is uh, <clears throat> you know, what we perhaps thought on our way down there. Certainly what I think should have happened after reading Crimes in Southern Indiana, I think that we got out uh, very unscathed for, uh, for dangerous territory down there. No, it was, uh, it was a great time. I mean, we had, uh, we had a lot of fun driving down there. We stopped at the Kurt Vonnegut Memorial Library in downtown Indianapolis. I know that's been a dream of Rob since its inception, I don't know, like a year and a half ago. Uh, what would you think about it, Rob? I thought it was small. I hate to say that. It's a, it's essentially two big rooms, and there's art on the wall, and there's some cool, uh, I guess, Vonnegut artifacts under glass and stuff like that. But I was hoping for more than I saw. But that being said, everything I did see was just fantastic. It was really a cool experience. Yeah. 
totally agree. Very, very cool stuff. But yeah, a lot smaller than I imagined. And I didn't imagine it just kind of being on a street corner either. Not that I know where I imagined it being, but it just didn't. It's not how I saw it in my head. Some of the cooler things that we saw there, a typewriter he actually used to uh, to type out manuscripts, a pack of unopened pack of cigarettes of Kurtz that were found behind like a like a dresser or something, <laughs> I'm guessing, after mm-hmm. his death and uh, even a rejection letter. Yeah, for one cool. of, for, Yeah, for one of his books, it just said, yeah, you don't really have what it takes, basically, to, for us to publish you. So, I mean, it was really neat to see some of that stuff. Well, the cool thing about the rejection letter, I don't know if you noticed this, but they have it's a rotating spot. They, they put different rejection letters up. I think it's like a ro- rejection letter of the month. Oh, I did not notice that, but that yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I'm going back to see the next one. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can, we can guess at it, but, uh, um, yeah, the other cool thing. So you saw, I mean, he had, they had all of his, um, military medals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a sword from world war two, a Nazi sword. So there was that kind of feel of, of Vonnegut during the war and everything. Typewriter he used during the 70s, which they also had a replica of out on a table that you could type onto. And I believe the messages that you type end up on their Twitter feed or something like that. So it, it was really well done for the small amount of space that they had. Uh, I have to imagine that there's a lot more stuff out there if they wanted to make it into a full-on Vonnegut museum. But it was definitely a really good experience. And then we... Uh finished out our trip down in uh, in Corridon, Indiana, where we went to Beefo Brady's for the uh, the release party of uh, Crimes in Southern Indiana and uh, and some readings by a few different authors. One of the authors that was there was Scott Phillips, the author of The Ice Harvest, which was uh, made into a movie several years ago. And uh, his latest, The Adjustment, which is what he read from. Great reader, that guy. I mean, I really, really liked listening to him read. Yeah, he, he did voices and stuff. It was yeah. more, more than you'd expect at a reading, but he did a great job. Yeah, that takes me back a little bit. I was going to say when we were doing the quotes that, um, you know, I had this desire to pull out like a full page of dialogue for us to try to do in Southern <laughs> Drawl, uh, much like uh, much like we did for Machine Man, and I'm really glad we didn't. <laughs> We'd probably just insult the Southern people to the point where they didn't want to talk to us. Um, Donald Ray Pollock, author of Knock'em Stiff and The Devil All the Time, if you didn't know that already from listening to the show, um, was there and and also read a short story. We got to talk to him a little bit. Just a really, really nice and interesting guy. Yeah, obviously Frank Bill was there, and he read uh, his story, The Need, from Crimes in Southern Indiana. It was really great, too. Uh, first time I've ever seen an author read something and then subsequently read that book. So it was a, it was a nice new experience. We also got to meet Jedediah Ayers, uh, the man behind Noir at the Bar. He came over from St. Louis and he emceed the event and also read from Noir at the Bar. He's got a story in there. So and it was cool to get to see him up there and meet him as well. And then there was uh, Kyle Miner of Warmed and Bound and Noir at the Bar again. Um, got to meet him and got uh, an autograph on our giveaway copy of Warmed and Bound, which we're going to mention a little bit later. Very exciting. I haven't read much of Kyle's stuff, but the the piece that he read at the event, which I'm not sure exactly where it came from, was really, really, really good. And uh, <laughs> easily the most entertaining from a, from a comedy standpoint read of the night, uh, Matthew McBride, uh, author of uh, Frank Sinatra in a Blender, also appearing in Noir at the Bar. His story was just riotously funny. And I'm definitely looking forward to reading uh, some more of uh, Mr. McBride's work. Yeah, he was definitely a surprise. I didn't, I hadn't heard his name before, just for whatever reason. But when I saw him up there and, and he read that story, 
I was an instant fan. I'm definitely going to be seeking out Frank Sinatra in a blender and uh, reading that uh, in between in between some of our, our episodes as soon as I can. It's a genius title for a book because although I had never heard Matthew McBride, I can tell you that the name Frank Sinatra in a blender definitely has stuck with me and I have had heard of it and seen it several times on the internet. So, mm-hmm. Okay, and last but not least, we um, booked finally had the opportunity to meet in the flesh David James Keaton, author of ZB&B, who's been on our podcast in the past. Uh, he drove over from Louisville, Kentucky, where he lives near, and uh, hung out with us and watched the reading and everything. And uh, it was really great to get to meet him and, and spend some time talking to him. He's just as funny in person as he is on the, on, on the show that we that we played for you guys. He's even funnier in photo tagging, though. <laughs> I will say that. So the guy just cracks me up. Yeah, there's no medium that that guy's not funny in. So to talk a little bit about how surreal all of uh, of this whole event became afterwards, we uh, we went to all right, and another um, I'm going to make another admission here. When people said Waffle House, I thought that was like a generic term. Like you would go to like Bob's Waffle House or <laughs> House of Waffles or uh, Waffle Rama. Um, no, there's actually a chain called Waffle House. And, of course, uh, we wound up at a Waffle House. And by a Waffle House, I mean the Waffle House. And uh, it just was very surreal because basically almost that entire list of people we just read off, plus some others, were all crammed into like three or four booths at Waffle House. Um, you know, I don't know if you could measure the the literary genius in, in a restaurant, but I find it hard to believe that many restaurants have surpassed that, uh, that bit of a... Uh, of writing, you know, greatness that was crammed into one corner of Waffle House. Yeah, if there's one regret I have for this entire trip, it's it's not asking one of the servers or something to take a picture of those like three or four booths because like you got Scott Phillips, Frank Bill was there, you know, Kyle Miner, me, Richard Thomas, Chris Deal, you know, there's just yeah, dozens of people. Uh, Matthew McBride was there. It was like the whole cast we just read. Did you just it. did you just lump yourself in there with the literary genius? Yeah, I was trying to get that through there without anybody <laughs> noticing. But me, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was sitting in one of the booths, so I count as one of the people. Um, you were. Yeah, just just have the having the having a picture of everybody packed into those booths would be pretty fantastic, and I kind of regret not having that thought in the moment. All right. And and then much like I said, expectations. Um, No, we didn't get stabbed or shot at or or pickpocketed or anything. But I will tell you this. The Waffle House chef uh, was covered in tattoos, including like one on the back of his neck. He was like a big guy. He was exactly what I expected the guy like making the waffles to look like. Yeah, it was. It was the perfect uh, Waffle House experience, if you ask me. I went on a slight book purchasing spree, picking up Noir at the Bar, uh, The Devil All the Time, and Crimes in Southern Indiana, all signed um, Noir at the Bar with five or six signatures. So that was very, very cool, building up my collection of personalized autograph stuffs. That was pretty cool. And, I mean, it was just a pretty good couple of days hanging out with Thomas and Deal and, uh, you know, just talking. It was the most literary weekend I've ever had. Really, all we talked about was books and writing and reading it was it was like a dream come true yeah and special thanks again to richard thomas who drove and collaborated the the whole event so well the whole event of us going i should say so yeah many many thanks richard uh, we had a great time and hopefully we'll uh, we'll do it again maybe for uh, noir at the bar yeah and you know what um thanks to frank bill who was just the nicest guy when we talked to him uh 
he's really warm and really free with his time and everything like that. He was just super, super nice and excited. And he even like the next day was tweeting about how he wished he had more time to talk with some of the people he met and stuff. So that guy is just really, really super nice. All right. And moving along a little bit, Amazon has been a hot topic on booked the last couple episodes. So in keeping with that trend, we're going to try something different. News has come out in the last week or so. I think that I saw an article on the 11th about Amazon contemplating doing a Netflix style subscription basis for books. And so I was going to talk about it on the show with Livius, but then we had this thought that we think is going to be great, which is we're going to host the kind of a conversation over at Facebook. We're going to start a conversation and, and see if we can get people talking about it and get their thoughts. So it can be a little bit more interactive. So um, if you're listening to this now, go check out booked over at uh, facebook.com slash booked podcast and look for our Amazon Netflix for books conversation and let us know what you think about that. And then we're going to ask for your help a little bit, too. It seems that the 7th Annual Podcast Award nominations are now open. Um, I don't think anyone's nominated us yet, but I fully expect after this. Oh, Breaking news. This just in from Facebook. Christopher Novas. Novas? Novas? Has nominated booked in three categories in the Podcast Awards. People's Choice, Entertainment, and the final one is Culture slash Art. Mr. Novus, thank you so much. Uh, that just uh, kept me from having to make that really sad and pathetic plea to, <laughs> to have somebody somebody go and nominate us. So um, we're just going to mention that in the coming weeks, we will be asking you um, to go vote for us if we are indeed your favorite podcast in one of those categories. I actually um, did some voting on different podcasts in the last podcast awards and uh, know a little bit about it, what it, how it works. Um, I'm not sure the exact start date of this, but once voting starts, essentially... There's a start date and an end date, and then podcasts, people vote every day, so you're allowed to vote once per day. You go in and you vote for the podcast every day, and then it's I think it's basically a popularity contest. So the more votes we get, the more often, I think the better chance we have of actually winning an award. Yeah, we're looking to get into the top half of one of the categories. That's it. That's all we're really looking for. <laughs> yeah, final, being, <laughs> yeah, being a finalist would be nice. It would be nice. So um, if you have a few spare minutes uh, in the coming weeks, we'll definitely let you know. We'll also, I'm sure, be posting it on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, last but not least, we're doing a giveaway. And uh, I know don't tune out just yet because I know you've heard this giveaway (laughs) before. We have new stuff that we've um, added to the giveaway. So um, our biggest giveaway yet, the Warmed and Bound Bundle, Um, five signed books. I'm going to do them a little backwards this time. We're going to have, we have a When October Falls, signed by Christopher J. Dwyer. Stranger Will, signed by Caleb J. Ross. Cien Fuego, signed by Chris Deal. Shiver Six, signed by Richard Thomas. And Warmed and Bound, signed by Richard Thomas, Chris Deal. And over the weekend, we added Kyle Miner and Brandon Teets to the signature list on Warmed and Bound. So um, thanks to Richard Thomas, who, uh, who did get us Brandon's signature at a reading we were unable to attend over the weekend. So thank you, Richard. And you guys should all thank Richard because you can go and enter to win these great five signed books with a total of, what is that, um, eight signatures, nine, eight signatures between them? I think it's like 30. Yeah, that's a lot of signing. Yeah. Yeah, there's some kind of weird math that happens there. <laughs> well, you multiply, so, right? Isn't that? Uh, exactly. It wrong. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's warmed and bound to the fourth power. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, get over to Goodreads uh, and Warmed and Bound, or you can do it right from our webpage because Rob has used his uh, magic to make sure that there is a little uh, click here to enter link right on Book Podcast front page. It was actual magic. I cast a spell. 
you know, it's like everything else. It's like I want to enter to win just to put that number up one more. But I thought that would be just my luck that it would be posted to like, you know, 500 people that I won our own giveaway. So I haven't entered. Yeah, I get itchy every time. I'm, I'm like, there's there's never a button I shouldn't click. Is how well, I and, you, and you made it too easy. It's right on the front page. So <laughs> I see it like all the time now. And for our next um, book review, it's going to be a little bit of a departure for us in a couple of ways. Um, the book we've chosen is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Uh, reasons it's a departure. Uh, first, out of however many episodes we've had, this is the first um, full-length fiction piece that uh, we'll be reading that's uh, that's been written by a woman. And uh, I know we've read some stuff that had some slight fantasy um, to it previously, but this is our first full-out fantasy novel. It's about a circus that arrives without warning. That's all I'm going to say about it. You can find out more on Amazon or um, we'll be linking to it. I'll have a cover up and you can link it right to Amazon. So you'll be able to check it out and, and read more about what we're reading. Yep. Hey, feel for a, feel free to read it along with us, too. That way you can just openly disagree as you're listening to the next episode. Exactly. All right. So before we check out for the night, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to get in touch with us. You can email us, bookedpodcast at gmail.com, as always. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at bookedpodcast. Facebook is where we really like to have people uh, get together with us and interact and everything. So that's facebook.com slash bookedpodcast. And you can go to our website, which is bookedpodcast.com. And Livius is going to tell you where you can get a hold of our precious podcast episodes. You can get them um, on our website. Um, which Rob just mentioned, bookpodcast.com, probably the easiest way to get it. Uh, if you're a little more tech savvy, you can plug up your Zune and get it from the Zune Marketplace or on your iPod, you can get it at iTunes. And you can also listen at stitcher.com. Stitcher, our favorite way to listen, smart radio, something or another. We love it. <laughs> hey, while you're there listening on Stitcher, there's a favorite button. And uh, if you click the favorite button, we'll actually see that someone clicked it, which is really cool. But uh, you'll actually be able to find our podcast easier next time you go back. Hey, yeah. um, I found a new feature on, on Stitcher that I hadn't known about before. I don't know if you know about this or not. Okay. You can bookmark parts of the uh, of the episode and go back to them. Did you know oh, that? Wow. No, can, I didn't. I wonder if that's available on the Android version. I don't know, but I, I noticed that I could drop bookmarks into specific parts of the episode, which uh, I guess it depends on how, how long they last or how many times you expect to listen to it or if you're planning on using it for a different reason. But it's a feature that I saw that I was like, hell, yeah, this is pretty awesome. That is kind of cool. I am uh, going to have to, when I'm probably listening to this one back, I'm going to have to tinker with that and see how that works or if it's available for my Android phone. Yeah, and if anybody's listening that's been using the bookmark feature on Stitcher, tell me why what they've used it for because I'm interested in if it's a feature that I could take advantage of somehow and use in a cool way. I'd really like to be doing that. Very cool. The more, you know, <laughs> you're going to get that music, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so again, uh, special thanks to Malaz Corbier who uh, kicked the show off for us today. Uh, and I think that about wraps it up for another episode of booked. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. There was nothing